Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. What you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that head. It's a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. Well, good afternoon to you. Welcome to the show. The weather we've been promised is finally materializing for at least a day anyway. Beautiful day outside today. Sunshine, 70s. Enjoy it while you've got it. It's supposed to be crappy and raining all day tomorrow, but Saturday... Oh, Saturday. Saturday's all right. More than all right. Sunshine, if the forecast holds, it'll be the warmest day of the year so far in South Bend in the low 80s. I like the sound of that. Sounds like the perfect day to be at Notre Dame Stadium taking in the blue gold game with a few thousand of your closest friends watching Marcus Freeman and his staff go through their final scrimmage of the spring, head into the summer, pack it up, you know, at least... uh, far from everyone else's eyes and then uh, you know it'll be three months until we get our eyes on them again once training camp opens up in August but uh, you know the teams have been divvied up drafted Al Washington Delenn McCullough lead the blue and gold teams out onto the field and whether you're at the game driving around mowing your yard chilling out somewhere drinking an ice cold but whatever wherever you are You'll be able to hear the game right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Book that because Darren Pritchett and I will be there with the call. Sounds like we might need some sunglasses uh, for the call Saturday, but that's all right as well. You know, but of course we found out yesterday that Tyler Buckner won't be playing in Saturday's game. Sprained his ankle, walking down some steps, so Marcus Freeman is going to hold Buckner out. Oliver Stone, you know, might already be planning a movie <laughs> about this one because there's there's already some conspiracy theories floating around out there. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. You know, no, it's not walk, Buckner walking up the steps. Steve Angeli's hanging out in the bushes on the grassy knoll and a magic loogie ricochets off Drew Pine's temple, hits Buckner between the third and fourth ribs and knocks Buckner off his stride and down the steps. No, no, none of that. No, no magic loogie. Nothing like that. But... There are some conspiracy theorists out there who think that maybe Buckner isn't really hurt. Maybe Marcus Freeman just doesn't want him to go out there Saturday, televised game, at least streaming app televised game anyway, and give Ohio State a good look at what this new iteration of Tommy Reese's fighting Irish offense is going to look like with Buckner at the helm. I'll tell you what, as far as conspiracy theories go, it's not the craziest thing in the world, actually. Now, do I believe that Marcus Freeman asked Tyler Buckner to throw on an ankle brace yesterday, gimp into the Irish Athletic Center to watch the blue gold draft for everyone to see without Buckner having some kind of actual ailment? No, I don't really believe they're faking this injury, but... Even a slight injury to Buckner gives him the perfect reason not to put him out there Saturday, because think about it, going into last year's season opener at Florida State, the last image Mike Norvell and his seminal coaching staff had of the Fighting Irish offense was the led one led by Ian Book. Tommy Tremble as a road grading H-back that was, you know, for a team that was rushing for more than 200 yards a game. But what Florida State got instead last year in the season opener was a 366-yard then-career-high passing day from Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin grad transfer, who they really didn't know. You know, it's like, well, they had seen this guy at Wisconsin. 
Was he a game manager? What exactly were they going to see from Jack Cohn? Not a whole lot of people impressed by that. And so I think that everyone thought from the Florida State side and talking to people on the Florida State side, they thought they were going to once again get this run-heavy offense. But the personnel had changed. Jack Cohn, new quarterback, all different offensive line. And that's a completely different rabbit hole. We don't have to go down there. Let's just all say <clears throat> we're very glad that Harry Heastand is uh, – running the offensive line once again, running and coaching the offensive line. But, you know, Cone played in last year's blue-gold game. Skill set wasn't so different from Book, you know, that they did anything really different from what the Ian Book offense looked like or did, you know, in the blue-gold game specifically. We saw some throws downfield. We saw some of that. Remember, it was a really windy day last year at Notre Dame Stadium. But there were enough new faces out there, especially on the offensive line, that there wasn't much Florida State would have been able to take from that game that would make them think Notre Dame was going to try to be much different from who they were the last few years. So they got a lot different looking team in that game, though. And the defense Notre Dame is going to face at Ohio State in the season opener, led by Jim Knowles, who, of course, was the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator now he didn't coach in the fiesta bowl against notre dame but the cowboys used that same defense so that you know that kind of gives them i don't know an advantage but at least gives them a comparison of okay here's what our defensive scheme what our philosophy is here's what they did against it that kind of thing but again that was with jack cone you know more much more a pocket guy than tyler buckner tyler buckner didn't play in that game the, you know, the last game film Ohio State has on Buckner was one pass attempt and three rushing attempts against Stanford last Thanksgiving weekend. And the quarterback they'll have to prepare for will be the one who had 38 more rushing yards than passing yards last year. You know, so they can prepare for the package quarterback who was run first, run second, catch you by surprise if he did throw, that kind of thing. But it's going to be a different looking Tyler Buckner and a different looking offense so you know I don't buy the conspiracy theory but I also don't think it's the worst thing in the world that Ohio State won't know what they're going to have to prepare for when they face a Tyler Buckner led offense September 3rd in the uh, horseshoe in Columbus no Tyler Buckner Saturday that means we'll see more of Drew Pine because Pine is going to uh, take snaps for both teams but just to kind of clear up any possible confusion there with you know Drew Pine and the fact that he's playing for both teams it's not going to be like Drew Pine the all-time quarterback you know like when you're playing in your backyard sandlot football that kind of stuff it's like it's like I don't think Drew Pine's going to go out there and take 80 percent of the snaps on Saturday Ron Paulus the third still the blue team quarterback Steve Angeli is the gold team quarterback they were both drafted in the blue gold draft yesterday and they're each going to play, I would imagine, a lot. I don't know exactly what the rotation will look like, but I imagine we see those two almost exclusively in the second half by the time the, the game goes to the running clock and all that stuff so they can get it over with. But I would think we'll see each of them in the first half as well because the last thing they want to do is have Drew Pine. It's like, hey, why don't you go run 30 straight plays out there? Just you know, keep that red jersey on back bounce back and forth between the two offenses you know, and at, again assuming the red jerseys are going to be on I don't know why they wouldn't be on you always keep them on the quarterbacks especially when you've already got you know a little bit of a dinged up quarterback it's a spring game we will all find out together they uh, always sort of reserve the right to change the format on the fly and do whatever they want in a spring game that's just kind of the way it goes I'll be interested to see just how competitive it gets though after all the trash talking yesterday it started with Cam Hart who's not going to be playing in the game but uh, you know he got up and he's like hey our guys are going to do this you know to you guys and all that and then Houston Griffith for the blue team got up later and he said well you know you don't have to necessarily listen to what Cam Hart had to say and Houston Griffith was guaranteeing a win as well so should be some fun and again you will hear it right here the blue gold game on what is supposed to be a beautiful day at Notre Dame Stadium great chance to get out enjoy some weather and watch your last chance to watch some football here locally until next season rolls around and again we will have it Darren Pritchett and I will have the call 
right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT Saturday afternoon. Looking forward to that. So I saw something recently. Notre Dame, you know, always gets flack for its independent status and all that kind of stuff as, as well as scheduling. And if you're not a Notre Dame fan, odds are you've railed on one of those two things at some point in your life. If you're not a fan of Notre Dame, they're scheduling. The fact that they're independent, you know, oh, they're not in the conference and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's an article I read at CBSSports.com that says Gonzaga basketball should adopt Notre Dame's football scheduling philosophy to help their program going forward. And it was an interesting read because Gonzaga's been to 23 straight NCAA tournaments, which is the third longest active streak right now behind Kansas and Michigan State. That Kansas streak could be in jeopardy depending on what happens with the NCAA, but that's another story right now. But as we all know, Mark Few, despite all that that track record, 23 straight NCAA tournaments, he's yet to win a national championship at Gonzaga. And the schedule the Bulldogs play in the West Coast Conference, it gets a lot of heat for not preparing them for the tournament. And I think that was especially more so this year. Outside of St. Mary's, didn't have a lot. BYU has made them a little bit better, but BYU is going to be heading to the Big 12 here in a couple of years. So they'll remove that, and the schedule will dumb down even more. And now, they do a good job of trying to go outside the schedule, schedule tough as much as they can. You know, like they've they've had, you know, Baylor, Iowa, some of these other, you know, bigger Power 5 conference schools on the schedule in the last few years. They've been to seven straight Sweet 16s. Gonzaga, which is the longest active streak by any school, but no other coach or program, you know, no coach or program is ultimately judged by Sweet 16. You're judged by what? Championships, just like Notre Dame football coaches aren't judged by double-digit win seasons or college football playoff appearances. Everybody's past that right now. They're judged on, you know, (laughs) well, championships, but also excuses they make for why they couldn't win a championship, I guess. But What this CBS Sports article says is, well, Notre Dame uses a scheduling agreement with the ACC. They play five games a year for the ACC. So why doesn't Gonzaga go out and come to some kind of similar arrangement with one of the Power Five conferences? Because there was some talk of Gonzaga joining the Big East. That's not going to happen, I guess. But, you know, I I just think that that would be a train wreck, though. I mean, think of the travel the fact that you'd have teams in three different time zones if you had Gonzaga playing in the Big East, you know, because you've got uh, DePaul and Marquette in the central time zone and, the, and, you know, Creighton as well and the bulk of the teams, you know, in the in the eastern time zone. I just I, I just can't imagine that. But the article says, what if Gonzaga wasn't a full-time member of the Big East but instead did a partial schedule against a conference like the Big East? or the Big 12, you know, again, somewhat similar to what Notre Dame does in football with the ACC. And now if it's the Big East, travel still wouldn't be great because you're talking about six or so hour flight times from Spokane, Washington, uh, you know, to Washington, D.C. or New York, even if you are chartering, that is still a long haul to get to those games back and forth if you're playing multiple games like that on a regular basis but you know the big 12 makes more sense because they you know the teams are at least closer you're only talking about one time well i guess two time zone differences because yeah pacific mountain central but still from gonzaga's standpoint big 12 makes a lot of sense but i don't think it helps the big 12 because like this year alone they had four teams in the top eight in strength of schedule kansas had the number one strength of schedule they had two teams like in the top four and four in the top eight the big 12 in terms of strength of schedule this year so what benefit does it have to them to go out and play a bunch of games against Gonzaga all you're doing is helping out Gonzaga and while it might give you a you know help your strength of schedule a little bit there's also a chance you know of losing those games and that ultimately doesn't do you any good so their schedules are tough enough without basically doing Gonzaga a favor and making their own lives more difficult but I, I don't think the benefits 
the Big 12. I don't think it benefits the Big 12. I don't think it would benefit like the Big 10, for example, for the same reason because, you know, the Big 10, Big 12, tougher conference schedules, the conferences are deeper. I do think there's benefit to conferences like the SEC or the ACC as they stand right now. Again, you've got a little bit more travel, especially with the ACC, but I think that there would be a benefit to Gonzaga with those conferences as well. They'd get more games on before 9 or 10 at night, which is what they'd get more of if they did something like this with a Pac-12. But at a time when the ACC is down, their conference could definitely benefit from a boost for, from playing a bunch of games against you know, Gonzaga on a partial basis like that. But interesting concept because Notre Dame has been able to pull it off uh, in football for several years now, and it would be better for Notre Dame if, you know, obviously Florida State, Miami were better more consistently, but at least it gives them consistent Power Five opponents, especially, and I'm talking about Notre Dame now, as they, you know, start to schedule more group of five teams. Like you got Marshall, UNLV, Central Michigan, Northern Illinois, just to name a few coming up in the next few years. So there is benefit. You know, to keeping that with the ACC because it allows them, you know, you're going to get Clemson every now and then. Maybe one of those other teams is going to sneak up and be good, but at least it's a consistent group of Power Five teams. And then they still continue to go out and schedule these other teams your Ohio State's, Alabama's, Wisconsin's, or, you know, Michigan every now and then, Michigan State every now and then. I know there are people around here who would like to see more of that, more Big Ten schools. Yeah, I. I, I think you could look at it on both sides. It's a matter of, you know, again, if you're not going to be in a conference full-time, you have to put together a schedule that is going to give you a chance to run the table but also challenge you enough that you're not just playing a bunch of cream puffs. And I don't know, you know, so I, I still think the ACC, there's some definite benefits there. You know, there's also that other flip side of it as you know, how much the ACC potentially wants to push things and try to lure Notre Dame into the conference on a full-time basis. I think that is still out there. So some uh, some interesting stuff in Gonzaga looking for, for something. You know, so like you look at the lack of options for a high-profile basketball program like Gonzaga, kind of keeps in perspective how an arrangement like Notre Dame has with the ACC really does help keep their independent status intact for the long run. Now, one uh, I mentioned this in the Sports Center. I'll mention it here real quick. Report just came out from the Tennessean, the newspaper in Nashville, where Tennessee State University is located. And of course, Notre Dame and Tennessee State a couple weeks ago announced the game coming up next season. The payout for that Notre Dame is going to give Tennessee State, according to the Tennessean, is a million dollars, million dollar payout for that game and what will be Notre Dame's first ever game against an HBCU or FCS team. And uh, the Tennessean reported this just today. They say they obtained that dollar amount through a Freedom of Information request. And, of course, Tennessee State is a state school, so they are subject uh, to that Freedom of of Information request. And uh, so the Tennessean says Notre Dame is going to be paying Tennessee State $1 million for uh, that game next year at Notre Dame Stadium. Interesting. A million bucks, and that is uh, it's a pretty good payday for Tennessee State, plus the exposure that they're going to get. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got a recruiting update from the man himself, Christian McCollum from irisportsdaily.com. That is just around the corner. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story about how at feedindiana.org. Christian McCollum talks Notre Dame football recruiting at a big blue gold weekend. Coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat.
Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Christian McCollum with us right now from irisportsdaily.com. How are you this afternoon, Christian? Are you with me there? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are all you right. doing? I've just got all kinds of like gremlins in my control board here today, so I, I couldn't hear you at first, but let's just talk. We're, we're both connected. Let's talk a little recruiting while we can still hear each other right now. So, blue gold game this weekend. We've got a ton of prospects coming in, so uh, let's talk about a few of them. There's some big offensive linemen coming in and uh, a big-time offensive line prospect out of the state of South Carolina, Monroe Freeling. So uh, what's the latest with Monroe Freeling? Yeah, so Freeling is a guy who made two trips to Notre Dame last year, one in the summer and one in the fall for a game. He was very high on Notre Dame coming into that first trip and even higher coming out of it. Uh, of course, just days after that trip, Clemson offered. So uh, that hmm. wasn't a major surprise yeah. because everyone could see that he was that level of target. But that's still a potential game-changing offers. And in a sense, it was. Now, Freeling, he, he isn't your typical South Carolina kid in that he lived most of his life in Oregon. And he's certainly being heavily recruited by other schools like Miami, Florida, Ohio State. Uh, but Clemson does seem like the stiffest test right now. So th- this weekend's trip will be about getting to know he stand more in person and the new staff as a whole and the new energy in South Bend. And, you know, as I've talked on here many times so far, the all reports back on that new energy and vibe in Notre Dame have been overwhelmingly positive. So, you know, Notre Dame hopes to kind of continue that trend there. And, you know, as far as his decision timetable, we're going to have more on that tomorrow um, at Irish Sports Daily. All right. And then uh, another guy. Not far from South Carolina, another East Coast guy from North Carolina, Sullivan Absher. Where do the Irish stand with him right now? Yeah, so another Carolina guy who's seriously considering Clemson and Notre Dame. He he listed NC State as his other school filling out his top three. To me, I think this is a Notre Dame-Clemson battle. I could be wrong about that, but I'm confident in saying Notre Dame is definitely in the top two, whatever the other school is in there. Um, Now, he visited Notre Dame back in January and left extremely impressed with Notre Dame and specifically Heastan. I mean, he was sold on Heastan that weekend. He told me that. Um, I think he and his family are sold on virtually all aspects of Notre Dame. I know there are some people close to him that really, like, actually prefer him go to Notre Dame. Hmm. But there are still some boxes that need to be checked. And the hope is that, you know, they will be checked this weekend. Um, like I said, you know, that Harry Heastan box has definitely been checked. It's just the – it's Harry's resume, and, and Absher seems to recognize that Heastan can develop him into the player he wants to be. Um, so I think that, that that in terms of, you know, offensive line coach, Notre Dame's set there. You know, he's going to be joined by his mother this weekend in South Bend. Um, and his dad made the trip the first time. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and just like uh, Monroe, we're going to have more on Absher in terms of his timeline um, tomorrow on Irish Sports Daily. Interesting. You know, I, it, Notre Dame got this reputation for what they are as, you know, as an offensive line school because of what Harry Heaston started. And they kind of you know, sort of lived on that reputation even when he was gone. So I would have to think that, that you know, his presence is going to go a long way with a lot of these guys ultimately. Big time boost, big time. I mean, it's just it's just that reputation and, and to be able to show the track record um, that's catching a lot of people's eyes. Yeah. All right, how about a kid from Ohio, Austin – Siraveld, I'm not exactly sure that we've had some close, interest- close enough, close enough for me, <laughs> interesting names here recently. I think a lot of people thought he was going to stay, you know, home and, and go to Ohio State, but he's actually coming back to town this weekend. So do you think Notre Dame has a shot with him? Yeah, so another offensive lineman that, that he stand is in on and, and he stand really likes seems. Um, you know, he's a kid who's already made multiple trips to Notre Dame. He doesn't say a whole lot, but actions say plenty. Um, like you said, I think a lot of people assumed he was an Ohio State lock, and I, I think one of those reasons, you know, is that he's an in-state kid that Ohio State is making a priority, right? This isn't a kid that's just sitting there hoping Ohio State comes calling or, or gives him the green light. He's a huge priority for the Buckeyes, but he keeps coming back to Notre Dame, you know, and that and that says plenty to me. 
Now, to be fair, he's he's made multiple trips to Columbus as well, um, including just past this past weekend for their spring game. But I think Ohio State and their fans are starting to get a little nervous here and, and could be with good reason. Like I said, he, he seems like he's a priority for he Stan as well. And as far as his timetable, he told me he doesn't really have one. So that tells me there's a, there's a good chance he's probably going to want to take some official visits this summer um, before making a decision, which, you know, probably a couple months from now. And like I said, kid that everyone assumed would be a Buckeye, but, he, you know, he keeps coming back to Notre Dame. So there's definitely something there um, that intrigues him. Talking Notre Dame football recruiting and the big blue gold football recruiting weekend with Christian McCollum from irishsportsdaily.com. And, uh, okay, so we've talked about some of the big guys. What about some skill position targets? Who's going to be in town that uh, Irish fans need to keep an eye on this weekend? So four guys jump out in terms of 2023 prospects. Um, Washington running back Jaden Lamar. Um, we feel really good about Notre Dame's chances with him. Um, he's a kid from Lake Stevens High School. He was in town uh, last fall for a game. Um, you know, Coach McCullough, the line McCullough has done a great job since being hired. They've formed a great connection. And, you know, this is a trip that Lamar told me he really, really wanted to make. He's excited about making it. And I, I, as far as timetable for him, I, I'm not sure he has one. I know he's talked about making some visits after this trip. Uh, but Notre Dame, like I said, they're in a really, really good position for him. Um, Texas wide receiver Jaden Greathouse. Um, you know, last week we talked about Braylon James, another Texas wide receiver, and, and Braylon told me that Jaden is the kid, one of the kids he really, really wants to play with. They're from the same town, mm -hmm. city, Austin. Um, they've grown up kind of competing against each other, dating all the way back to flag football. And Braylon is really in Jaden's ear um, about coming to Notre Dame. And now, Jaden, we've talked about him before. He's a kid that's coming over. He's supposed to be in, in England at a Man U game this weekend. Really? Um, he's flying, yeah, he's flying directly from South <laughs> wow. Bend uh, from there. So that's pretty cool. Um, kind of shows the interest level there, right? Now, he's a kid a lot of other big-time schools are in on as well. Uh, but with Braylon there, and, and there's obviously some, you know, some interest on his part. Um, wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey seems to be doing a great job getting Notre Dame in there. Uh, another wide receiver, Rodney Gallagher from Pennsylvania. This kid is a super talented, electric player. He doesn't have a ton of film at receiver. Uh, they put him at like quarterback and let him run like wildcat quarterback stuff, and okay. it doesn't even really look fair. He's just like, so <laughs> dynamic. You know, he's just really is so dynamic with his, the ball in his hand. A lot of people have compared him to Will Fuller, um, and he's kind of slender and slight build, but. I mean, in terms of, like, short area quickness, he's, he's quicker than Will Fuller, in my opinion. Um, now, I think Notre Dame has been kind of up and down here. I think they might have some catching up to do here. Um, I, 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 you know, they've always had some interest. He's always been interested in them. It's just hard to kind of pin down exactly how much. And Penn State's a, a school that a lot of people think um, is going to be really, really tough to beat for Gallagher, so we'll have to see. And then there's Georgia safety Caleb Downs. I mean, you know, we're talking about a true elite prospect. He is a really, really, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, one of those guys that no matter what, you have to take him, forget about the numbers at the position, the numbers of the class. Um, he's a kid you can't turn down. His brother's a standout receiver for North Carolina, really lit up Notre Dame. Um, and it's going to be a battle to land downs, right? He, he's not going to be someone that, you know, Notre Dame, people are going to say, oh, they got a great shot at him or they lead for him, at least not right now at this point. But that being said, he's already been to South Bend multiple times. And just like Saraveld, we were talking about, he's coming back, and it's not, you know, it's a little bit further away than Ohio. So there's got to be something there that intrigues him. And when I talk to him, you know, one of the things that I know intrigues him is safety's coach Chris O'Leary. Um, on this staff of great recruiters, sometimes I think O'Leary gets a little bit overlooked. But every time I talk to a, a safety or anyone that's being recruited by him, um, they really light up. So he's really doing a good job, and I, I think they're, he's given them even a chance um, to be in the race with Caleb Downs. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, and I saw, you know, you were talking about Jaden Greathouse, and he's a four-star guy, just like Braylon James, and I saw that, I think it was yesterday, James tweeted a picture of the two in Notre Dame yep. uniforms together, let's shock the world, and all that kind of stuff, yep. so he's working on him, he's working on him, we'll sure see is. if it works. In the in in James's um, commitment that he did on the CBS Sports um, website, the other day something that stood out one of the first things that he talked about when 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 they asked him why Notre Dame he uh 
he just talked about how Marcus Freeman, Chancey Stuckey, just the way they talked with him and they got to know him was the biggest mm -hmm. thing. You know, are, are you hearing a lot more of that kind of stuff, you know, since Marcus Freeman has been the head coach, I guess, with, you know, so many of these new guys on the staff? Absolutely. And it's exactly what we thought it would be. I mean, you know, it's been no secret and it's I don't even think it's a criticism. It's just a fact. Brian Kelly wasn't involved at, at recruiting at a day to day basis like this. Like yeah. we, we expected Freeman to upgrade. I mean, he there's people that tell me, like, who do you talk to most? And it's it's almost always for Notre Dame, the position coach. You know? so, so if you're talking to a receiver, it's Coach Ducky. If you're talking to an offensive lineman, it's E-Stand. If you're talking to a cornerback's coach, it's or cornerbacks, it's Mike Mickens. For sometimes some of these guys, they say Marcus Freeman is the guy they talk to more than anybody. Wow, that's like unheard of across the country. Um, there are very few guys that are that way, and it's usually the guys that are, you know, super successful in recruiting and super successful on the field. You know, the Nick Sabans, the world, Dabo Sweeney's, Urban Meyer when he was doing it. Um, so you know, yeah, he's in there, and it's not just all right. Give me the phone. Let me talk to this kid and just you know blow smoke for five minutes and right. give the phone back. I mean, he's getting to know these people's families, their parents, their siblings, asking about them, and that stuff really does make a difference. Yeah, I. It's going to be really um, – it's kind of got me, you know, more excited than usual just about recruiting just because <laughs> it's, you know, we we got used to seeing same old, same old for a long time, obviously. Yep. All right, uh, one other guy I wanted to ask you about. We've talked about him a little bit before, another offensive lineman, 2023, uh, Sam Pendleton, North Carolina kid. He's going to announce his decision Monday. So, so where's Notre Dame heading into that announcement right now? Yeah, so I wasn't 100% sure where things stood with Pendleton when we spoke last week, mostly because I was trying to be cautious and not read too much into his comments following the visit. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think those comments said plenty. He told me pretty much Notre Dame has everything I want and from football, engineering, and that Notre Dame feels like home. And those are like key phrases when kids start talking like that. It's like, yeah. well, you know, get ready. Uh, <laughs> but I just – I was kind of being cautious. Um, I know he had good things to say about other universities as well. And I didn't want to get anyone too far ahead of himself because, you know, sometimes a lot of Notre Dame fans, they just only read the Notre Dame stuff. And you sure. read that from a kid and you're like, oh, well, sign him up. <laughs> so, you know, it, it it wasn't a deal where I thought he was blowing smoke or leading anybody on when he was saying good things about other schools or anything like that. Um, I just didn't want people to get, you know, I wanted people to get the total picture. Yeah. That being said about, you know, as the days have gone by, it's been a few days since he announced his you know, announcement date. Um, I do really feel really good about where Notre Dame stands here. Um, I know there are other schools that were thinking that, oh, yeah, he, he really liked it. He told us he really liked it, and they think they have a chance in you know, our school. Um, I think they all think it's going to be Notre Dame, too, as well. Hmm. Um, so we'll see you on Monday. All right. But like you said, Sean, you know, you know, Harry Heastan is really, really doing a great job here. It's a difference maker, and he was considered by many that might be the weak link of this class, and, and that's clearly not proven to be the case. Yep, not so far. All right. Do we know what time he's going to announce on Monday? I believe it's like 6.30-ish okay. uh, Eastern Standard Time, but don't quote me on that. Okay. All right. We'll keep an eye, eye out for him. Anyway, Christian McCollum with uh, all the blue gold scoop for this weekend. Tons of guys coming in, and you just heard about a lot of them. IrishSportsDaily.com. What else is going on there right now, Christian? Yeah, like I alluded to before, we'll have a big, um, our weekly ISD Intel piece, which is behind the scenes. We'll be diving in even deeper to uh, a lot of the guys we just talked about. Um, along with some other things. And then, you know, obviously we'll have plenty of coverage from the Blue Gold weekend, uh, both, you know, the game, stuff from the game, you know, interviews afterwards, video, um, and obviously a lot of updates on these recruits that will be in town. All right. Sounds good to me. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Sean. All right. Absolutely. Christian McCollum, irishsportsdaily.com. Big weekend coming up and uh, things going right right now in terms of recruiting for Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Some uh, sad news. Daryl LaMonica, former Notre Dame quarterback, passed away today. Got some details on that and a couple other this and that's when we return. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM 
WSBT, some sad news today out of Fresno, California. Daryl LaMonica, guy uh, many people knew as the Mad Bomber, uh, died today at the age of 80 at his home in Fresno. LaMonica played for Notre Dame from 1960 through 62, three-year starter for the Fighting Irish. He was drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Played there for a few years and then uh, traded from Buffalo to the Oakland Raiders in uh, 1967. And uh, if you know Al Day, you know, basically the Raider way is uh, throw it deep, right? You know, defensively, the other team's quarterback must go down, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But offensively, get vertical, baby. And uh, LaMonica did just that with that big arm of his, you know, he teamed up with receivers like Warren Wells, Fred Belitnikoff, um, in the late '60s and into the '70s, and uh, he led the uh, the Raiders to Super Bowl two. Of course, they wouldn't win Super Bowl two, but uh, led the Raiders to Super Bowl two and uh, helped uh, you know basically the first Super Bowl that the Raiders went to in his uh, six seasons as a starter. For the Raiders, LaMonica was considered one of the most prolific passers in the game. He led pro football with 145 touchdowns in that stretch in his time in the NFL, 24 more than the second-place guy on the list, a guy by the name of Fran Tarkington. He threw for over 16,000 yards and ranked uh, third in uh, AFL-NFL from 1967 to 1972 he was an all pro in 1969 when he led the afl with over 3,000 passing yards and 34 touchdowns so again daryl lamonica former notre dame and uh buffalo bill and oakland raiders quarterback passed today at the age of 80 in his home in fresno California. One other Notre Dame note talked about this earlier. Notre Dame is reportedly going to pay Tennessee State a million dollars for that home opener next season at Notre Dame Stadium. The Tennessean newspaper in Nashville says it obtained the amount through the Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, The million dollar guarantee will be the largest that Tennessee State has ever received. So interesting there. I guess it's not surprising. I'd you know, I, I didn't think maybe it would reach a million bucks, but uh, that's a big payday for Tennessee State. Again, you can see why Tennessee State would be excited about playing Notre Dame. But, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of people are excited about Notre Dame playing Tennessee State. It's the FCS aspect of this whole thing that, you know, still kind of eh on a little bit. So it'll be a big, big payday, though. For, uh, for Tennessee State University. White Sox lost to the, uh, I was about to say Indians, Guardians today in Cleveland as uh, the Indians capped a three-game sweep. They took two games, took both ends of a doubleheader yesterday, outscoring the White Sox 13-2 in the process yesterday. Uh, but uh, Cleveland won today by a final of 6-3, to former South Bend Cub Dylan Cease uh, strapped with the loss for the White Sox. He gave up a total of four runs on eight hits in five and a third innings. He struck out five and then gave away three different relievers came in. Zach Plesak was uh, the winning pitcher for the Guardians. He uh, allowed just a run with three strikeouts in six and two-thirds Innings. So, uh, I mean, it is early. It is really early. We're only a couple of weeks into the season, but uh, early on now, it's the Cleveland Guardians sitting atop the AL Central with a seven and five record. The White Sox are six and six. Kansas City at five and six. Detroit at five and seven, and Minnesota at five and eight, bringing up the uh, the bottom end of the Central. And the White Sox are off to Minnesota tomorrow so uh, again the White Sox falling today Yankees uh, I was about to say the Yankees beat Detroit but Detroit blanked the Yankees today by a final of three to nothing in another afternoon game and I don't think there were a ton of other games of uh, local interest the uh, Cubs are playing the Pirates tonight with uh, Mark Leiter Jr. on the mound for the Cubs as they start a series and that will be in 
Chicago. And, of course, we've got the South Bend Cubs coming up just a little bit more than an hour from now. 7.05, first pitch from Four Winds Field, 6.45 pregame, and you'll hear that right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Take a timeout. Sports Center update is coming up next. Bobby Hensley is going to join me from the road. He's heading to Talladega for um, the uh, the race this weekend. So we'll hear from Bobby Hensley in rapid fire coming up in the six o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. You are listening to Budweiser's weekday sports beat with Sean Styers. On Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. And I'm joined by the one and only Bobby Hensley tonight on Rapid Fire. It's been a while since we talked yeah i thought you blocked my number or something (laughs) well you skipped out on me on monday it's like yeah i don't even know what's going on anymore but well you know i knew you wanted to hang out with other people so i thought i'd give you some space okay it's not you it's me i got you i got you i can i can i can appreciate that you are uh on your way to talladega for the talladega 500 where are you right now I am just south of Nashville, feeling the wonderful 82-degree temperature. Okay. So Sounds far, nice. so good. Have you ever been to Talladega before? I never have. I've only been to a couple of NASCAR shops in Indianapolis and Michigan. So Talladega is hopefully a, uh, a good party and a good race. All right. That's what it's all about, right, the party. I mean, that's that's basically it, isn't it? That's why I'm going on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I've only been to one NASCAR race, and it was like 20, probably 20 years ago. It, I went to the Brickyard, and it was, you know, early August, and <laughs> went to a couple, you know, went with a couple guys. You know, one, one of the guys we went to, like his family had the tickets and stuff like that. And so, you know, we took our own cooler in and did that whole thing, but it was so hot that it was like literally as soon as you would drink your beverage it was just coming sweating right out your pores so i don't know if it's if it's like you know gonna be like that where you are but that was my nascar experience so i'm surprised you even gave it that chance i mean hey free tickets i'd never been there before so i said what the heck you know so well even over the summer sometimes baseball games were that hot yeah enjoy a beer because before you even finish the beer it's warm and hot yeah, yeah. You're you're cutting just a little bit. I don't know if you're moving around or not, but you might want to you might want to not pace for a little bit while we do this. <laughs> since you're not <laughs> driving, Nashville connection. Since you're not driving right now. All right. Well, let's jump into this. Fill in the blank. Tyler Buckner is not playing in Saturday's Blue Gold game. That means blank in the big picture for Notre Dame. I don't think that really affects anything because. It's not a real game. It's a glorified practice. So, like, how much do you want to use your, your players that you're going to be leaning on heavily coming up? I think, you know, maybe you would like to be involved, but it's nothing if you don't play. And even if you do play, it's a practice. I agree. And, you know, I think that it's actually a good thing for Notre Dame because they had a completely different kind of offense last year with Jack Cohn. You know, you got more a pocket guy, tempo passing is what they went to down the stretch and all that different kind of stuff. And if you look at the way they opened the season last year, well, two years ago when they last went to the college football playoff, they were a run-heavy team, averaged over 200 yards a game. I think that's what Florida State, I I would say I definitely, uh, you know, that's what Florida State was expecting to see going into that game. That's not what they got because they had a new quarterback, all these new offensive linemen. They got something completely different. And now with Tyler Buckner at the helm, there's going to be another completely different offense that they'll open up with. So as much as we'd all like to see Tyler Buckner Saturday, you know, I agree with you. It's it's not like this means anything from a Notre Dame standpoint, but from a they're going to face Ohio State in the season opener standpoint, 
and this game is going to be televised Saturday, that gives Ohio State just that much less in terms of you know letting them see what this new look offense is going to look like with Tyler Buckner running things full steam. So I, I think it's actually a good thing for Notre Dame that that uh, you know you kind of keep that away from Ohio State. That's one thing that they won't get to see before the season opener. In terms of scheming, I, I agree with you 100. percent It gives you you know more options to throw at Ohio State that they won't have seen. Plus, it's obviously the health aspect of it. You don't want somebody. You don't want anybody getting hurt in any practice, especially in a spring game that's yeah, exactly. Basically, a public walkthrough. They modified scoring and everything, and it's just. I don't see any reason to put anybody you think is that important to your whole team at quarterback, especially. Yeah, you know, because there are a handful of other guys who have been, you know, been injured here and there, and they're you know they've been back at practice and stuff like that, but they're not going to play either. Saturday you know so I just anyone who's dinged up at all just keep them out there's no reason to have them out there because as you said as we all know it's a spring game and now you've got three plus months to go before training camp starts and all that kind of stuff so no reason to push anybody out there you you know what if he goes out there and has a terrible performance and then everybody wants to talk about who should be at quarterback there's no positives to having him out there. That's exactly right. And I mean, even you know, even if he had been able to play, there was you know, there was going to be because no matter what happens, we've all been around it enough. Whatever happens in a blue gold game, there's typically going to be an overreaction one way or the other. You're either going to fall in love with somebody and then once the season starts, you're like, "Well, why isn't he playing more?" or you just what you said you know, you jump, you jump overboard on someone who doesn't have a good performance, and you you base all your judgments on that. There's always going to be an overreaction. So I'll be, you know, that's that's like one thing. What's that overreaction going to be? I, that's just one less overreaction, though, that we can have now with Tyler Buckner out Saturday. We can all overreact to what uh, Drew Pine is or isn't, and if Drew Pine looks great, then we've got that conversation to carry us through the summer. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the case, though. And you know that the backup plays really well, and then the controversy doesn't always mean it. That means they might have had a good day. They're worth starting. That's right. Okay, fill in the blank on this one. With Villanova's Jay Wright announcing his retirement last night, it's blank that Wright, Mike Shashevsky, and Roy Williams have all now retired within the last year. I think expected. Or. Er- not surprising at least because the other two are so old and have been around for so long I don't think at any point when they retired that it would be a surprise right maybe the timing of it's weird Um, you know that he didn't do his um, circuit on the way out making everybody say bye to you get the farewell tour that's right Uh, you know we all you know we all criticized Shashevsky for that and Jay Wright just like Roy Williams you know, didn't think that he needed the uh, the farewell tour. So, to me, that's a feather in his cap. But at, at that age, any coach could retire at any time, and I don't think it's super sure. surprising. Do you think that, like, NIL has anything to do with this? It, 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 just the fact that all, you know, as you said, Krzyzewski and Williams are older. Wright is only 60 years old. And, I, you know, I've seen some kind of hypothesizing out there that, you know, Maybe all this NIL stuff and coaches and just the, the way recruiting and everything else is trending that these guys don't want to deal with that. Do you think that, that there's you know any potential impact on these decisions? Because, I mean, these are three Hall of Fame coaches within a, just a little bit more than a calendar year who have all hung it up. And, you know, right completely surprised everybody. The report didn't come out till last night now that, you know, they already had his uh, replacement lined up. So Villanova obviously has known this is coming for a while, but for the rest of us, what do you think about that? Just, just you know, the way recruiting and NIL and, and the way things are trending right now across college sports, do you think there's any impact there? I think there absolutely is. It's going to be the recruiting game is changing and what you can use and spend. <laughs> and it's weird to say that out loud and not feel dirty because it's acceptable now. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot to do with that coaching, especially when you've been set your ways for 35 years of right. recruiting. Right. Now you have 
teams the way you do it and how you sit in the living room to recruit the kids. So there's got to be some aspect to it. I think it's like, well, the game's starting to pass me by. I'm still not a laughing stock. Now is a good time to leave. So I think it's certainly an aspect of it. I don't know if it's the driving force, but I think there is a some at least some uh, blame to be putting on the NILs. Yeah, I I think that that it's a you know a, like. If someone asks me, well, why'd you do, you know, whatever, there's 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 never one reason. It's always an accumulation of different things. So I think NIL probably has some impact, the one and done and all those different things. But like you look at Jay Wright again, you know, like he's relatively young. He's 60 years old. Mike Bray is older than Jay Wright by three years. And now you've got Jim Beheim out there. So like you look at these three, it's just not necessarily a Mount Rushmore, but like you could put like of of guys who have been coaching, you know, basically Coach K has been coaching almost since I can remember watching college basketball into the, you know, the early 80s. Not so much with Jay Wright and Roy Williams, but, you know, Williams started not much after that. Jim Beheim, ditto. I mean, Jim Beheim obviously went head-to-head with Bobby Knight in the, in the 87 National Championship game. So it's like, You've got at least a partial current Mount Rushmore of coaches, all Hall of Famers who have retired in the last year. So it, it is, you know, kind of a little bit, kind of shocking to see all three of these guys on their way out. Guys who have all won national championships within the, the last few years on their way out, riding off into the sunset, all in a you know a, a pretty pretty uh, tight window of each other. So I guess that leads me to my next question. Which of those three programs, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina, do you think has the best chance to sustain a what we might call blue blood tradition for at least the next 10 years? I'm incredibly biased, but I'm going to go with Carolina on that one because, <laughs> well, they just played the championship game and had a 15-point lead at halftime. Yeah. So, I mean, they still are getting there with a new coach. They already have their new coach. The other two are still question marks. Like Duke, you don't know how good the heir apparent's going to be. He's been doing it for a year, but how how much is he ready for that spotlight? How, and same thing at Villanova. So Carolina at least know that their coach that was in weight or that they got after Roy Williams is ready for the big time to make runs. Yeah, I completely agree because even if Hubert Davis did it as a number eight seed this year, when you go back since since. Uh, the retirement of Dean Smith. What is it now? Three of the last four coaches. You, you, you know, with, with the exception of Matt Doherty, three of the last four coaches have at least gotten North Carolina to the Final Four. And of course, Roy Williams won a national championship. Davis gets them all the way to the championship. They're a state school, so I think it's a little bit different for them as well because the other two are private schools. And Coach K, you know, again, Coach K started in the early 80s. This is the first time Duke has had to deal with anything like that. I mean, ask his grandson. His grandson is transferring out of there. You know, what does that say that his grandson decides he's going to leave now that grandpa is gone? So, you know, and again, like with Jay Wright, we kind of talked about this with that whole blue blood conversation. What was Villanova between Raleigh Massimino and and Jay Wright, because even when Massimino was there, there was still a lot of average basketball after they won the national championship in 85. Jay Wright has, has, you know, and even like early in Jay Wright's career, they were not necessarily a national power. All this has happened recently. So I agree with what you're saying. I think North Carolina's got the best chance, and I think Villanova has really got the shakiest chance of, you know, staying just where they have been here in recent years in, in all these Final Fours under Jay Wright. I think it's going to be the toughest for them because, like, you look at their facilities, it's nothing great. Sure, but Duke, Duke's duke got the brand, but that's based off of Coach K. So exactly. So that could fall off quickly, whereas Villanova, their conference isn't as tough either. Yeah. So it might be easier for them to have 25 wins every year and make, it, make the tournament. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, we're going to take a timeout with uh, the South Bend Cubs baseball starting here in about, what, 25 minutes or so. We'll take a timeout and then hit a few more questions in rapid fire, including Jerry West. He's mad about what's going on with that winning time series on HBO and how he's being depicted. Bobby and I have both been watching that. We'll talk a little bit about that. Coming up next, Rapid Fire continues on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. 
Budweiser's weekday sports beat and rapid fire continue with Bobby Hensley, who's on his way to Talladega for the Talladega 500. Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. Sean Styers. What's that? I just can't wait to hear all the people with the Brian Kelly accent down here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the one and only Bobby Hensley. Okay, I'll tell you what. Lakers legend Jerry West, a.k.a. The Logo, is upset with his depiction in the Lakers HBO series Winning Time. Now, you and I have both been watching Winning Time. I think it's a good series. I think you think it's a good series. Otherwise, you wouldn't be watching it. But West's lawyers say, quote, Winning Time falsely and cruelly portrays Mr. West as an out-of-control, intoxicated rageaholic that bears no resemblance to the real man, end quote. They demand an apology and a retraction from the showrunners. So what do you think about this, Bobby? I think that's crazy. First of all, it's a dramatization. It's not even like a documentary of the Lakers. It's a story. Like not, not all the things that happen there are facts. Now, on top of that, I know Jerry West's impact on the game is huge, He's kind of like a bit role in the show. He's not one of the main, main characters. Right. It's, the show kind of picks up with when he leaves as head coach. And that's basically what he's mad about is how he was depicted in the first two episodes of the show because he was more prominent in the first two episodes because he was still the head coach of the Lakers at that point. You know, and I think we talked about this, you know, like, they have him throwing a trophy through a window and like storming it, you know, and basically ticked off and all these different things. And yeah, he was drinking and stuff like the alcohol, you know, the intoxicated, like the rageaholic thing. They definitely portrayed him that way. But since those first two episodes, kind of what you're alluding to there, he has taken a much, you know, much more backseat. He's, he's got a much smaller role and you really don't see him doing those same things, you know, after he gave up the position as head coach. Now, one thing, you know, so basically what he's doing, they're going into episode eight this week. So, again, this was like episodes one and two where you saw more of him. They're basically dredging up stuff that 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 happened like almost two months ago in terms of, you know, when people have seen it. All they're really doing you know, by by with with this injunction or you know demanding the the retraction or an apology, all they're doing is drawing more attention to it and guaranteeing. I think that more people are going to watch it now. At this point, it's like so far in the past that if you've been watching the show, who really cares right now? You, you know, you and I used to talk about this all the time when we did the two guys talking sports movies podcast. These are not documentaries. These are dramatizations, as you said. And they put a disclaimer on the screen at the beginning and at the end of all of these episodes. This is It's based on this team. Anytime Hollywood makes a sports movie, whatever it happens to be, they're going to dramatize things. You know, basically, Jerry West is, is like claiming the whole Dan Devine argument. Well, that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> Hollywood is always going to change things. You know, like the uh, the movie Remember the Titans. You know, like there was really, you know, a couple of coaches by that, you know, by those names. All the big events that happened in Remember the Titans, none of it actually happened the way it comes out in Remember the Titans because Hollywood is always going to change things to make it a better story. I think, you know, what what makes it a little bit dicier here is you're talking about some iconic people like Jerry West and you know Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all these different things. They have apparently changed a lot of things. You know, like the last episode when they beat the Boston Celtics, they go on this road trip. Beating the Celtics was apparently this pivotal, you know, kind of thing. But apparently, you know, like. In the show, they had them beating or losing to the Indiana Pacers and Detroit. And apparently, it was really like, I think, like Chicago and Milwaukee they lost to. And then they, you know, so like they've changed a lot of things, you know. So it's like it, this ultimately, it's not that big a deal. But Jerry West, because his feelings are hurt, has made a much bigger deal about this than I think needs to be made of it. On, on some level, by him asking for this retraction and throwing this fit. 
isn't that kind of how he's depicted in the show? Yeah. Like, he's, he's almost showing himself to be the guy that they're talking about, about the control freak and everything else. That's true. That, it makes it even more funny and ironic. It's like, why are you doing this if that's not how you over? I mean, if you, but, just, if you just let it slide, no one's going to care. It's like my wife, whenever she watches something that's based on a true story, she always facts checks, you know, fact checks everything afterwards to find out what exactly how you know what did what didn't happen it's like to me i'm just being entertained i'm i'm really not that you know i i don't have to know did that definitely happen did that not definitely you know just just like uh uh moneyball you know it's like i, I know that not everything in moneyball happened the basic gist of what happened happened but it's just it's just not that big a deal to me i don't know about you no, I agree. I almost think the opposite. Like, I do like after I watch a movie that has some true ties to it, I enjoy going back and going, wow, that part actually really did happen. Right. Like, I almost assume that all of it's fictionalized or a little bit more dramatized to sure. make it more entertainment, which I enjoy. Who doesn't want to be entertained? That's why you watch these things. Yeah. And so the fact that, oh, he's not depicted the exact way it happened. He gets a trophy through a window. That scene was pretty cool, and it made me like the show a whole lot more, to be honest. Cause at the beginning, I went in with low expectations, and this stuff with Jerry West kind of got me hooked a little bit. So if anything, I think he looks like one of the people that you want to see more of. And I don't know why he'd be so upset that it was just not quite how it really happened. Yeah. It's like, okay, what do you expect him to do? I mean, I think, you know, I don't know what, what you think about that. We haven't talked about the show. We've We've been meaning to for the last few weeks, but we've kind of run out of time all the time. But I mean, I think the show's pretty entertaining. Again, I'm not holding it to, you know, 100% did it happen standards. You know, we know that Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar existed, and we know that their characters are at least based on who those guys were. I've been pretty entertained by it. And, you know, like John C. Riley as Dr. Jerry West, I think he has done a fabulous job in that role. I was really not too sure what to expect going in, but I, I think he has done, you know, just the acting itself. Again, like what what did and didn't happen in those kind of things, I, I, I'm not overly concerned about. But I, I think that the show is is pretty entertaining, and it's kind of gaining a bigger audience as it goes along. And I think they're doing a great job at telling the story throughout the season. They do a good job of mixing what's going on with Kareem and Magic and Jack McKinney, the coach that year. Right. Well, also showing some basketball now. Like, so I can't remember the last time that there was a show about sports that had me looking forward to seeing it every week. And that's something in itself, because there's not a lot of good television out there that you want to watch every week. And again, I'm not saying it's going to win all the awards at the end of the year, but I just, the way they put it together is very interesting to watch. They do you have any knowledge or any opinion on on basketball and the Lakers I think you'll enjoy it they've renewed it for a season two you know so that's coming up and again it's about the origins of the Showtime Lakers from when Jerry West bought the Lakers in 1979 and and uh, you know Bird and Magic and all that stuff and I've seen people criticize the casting of the show you know like when you look again you're talking about iconic figures in the world of sports Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Magic Johnson Larry Bird Dr. J made a little bit. I think he's going to make an appearance this week. When you're talking about casting, you know, we talked about this before. One, you've got to get guys who are at least, you know, in the ballpark of how tall basketball players are. Two, you've got to get guys who look at least somewhat like these real-life iconic figures. And then three, they've got to be able to act a little bit and play basketball at least a little bit. So it's got to be extraordinarily tough to cast a show like that, I would have to imagine. Even tougher than football, I think. Well, it's like when, um, again, going back to that podcast, you know, we watched Friday Night Lights, the movie, and one of the things is the running back played a teenager and he was 35 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's and, right. You know, so sometimes it's hard to find a cast that just matches up with what the players are, especially when it's real people that everyone knows what they look about. And that Magic Johnson smile is encapsulated perfectly in the show yeah like when you watch the show you don't have to wonder like oh which player is that supposed to be playing you just know who it's supposed to be yeah that, i think that they did a great job in casting and i was really pessimistic about john c Riley. 
and I think this is some of his best work because it's a TV show, which is different for him too. Yeah. But um, I just think that he's actually pretty surprising in how good he's playing as, yeah. as Mr. Buff. I agree. I agree. All right, next. I don't know where they go in season two, though. I, I Well, you know, I mean, they've got a lot of, you know, again, because they're only in 1980 in, you know, Magic. they draft Magic Johnson and they win the NBA championship that year with with Magic Johnson as a rookie. So there are still more titles to come. You know, they've got the whole 1980s because if you remember also the one of the I think it was the very first scene of episode 1, they actually begin with Magic Johnson's announcement that he was retiring uh, due to uh HIV and I think that was what it was like the 91-92 season where that happened. So that's where they started the whole thing, you know. So they've got They've got basically what twelve years of uh, of stuff, you know, of material to go to, you know, after they renew this thing. So I'll be really curious to see where they go and and uh, you know what what other kind of things they depict. I was I thought this was going to be one of these limited series, so I'm, I was surprised they even you know were thinking about a season two. So I'm kind of excited about that. You know, there's there's a little bit of cheese to it. I don't think it's overly cheesy. That was the biggest thing that I was worried about. Again, when you know when you do try to depict real people plus the basketball skills and you know all that different kind of stuff but i've been really pleasantly surprised by it i give it an eight out of ten would be my score i i would as well and i think when we started we weren't even going that high on it but yeah they still have a lot of ground to cover for this the season that they're covering so that i mean if they just finish this season out and then start next season with and then go over like every episode of the different year of the run or something yeah they get it, it. It's just—it's surprisingly entertaining. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. All right, so Bobby Hensley again—he's on the, his way to Talladega for the Talladega 500. Do you have any uh, predictions for for a winner Sunday, or are you um, just kind of you know whatever happens happens? Last time they raced there, Bubba Wallace won, and he's pretty good at that kind of track. So maybe him. Uh, I'm going to say um, I'm going to go with. Denny Hamlin gets a win, though. That's my that's my uh, DraftKings bet of the week. Denny Hamlin? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, enjoy your trip. Drive safely. And uh, I'll talk to you Monday after everything's said and done. I, I can't wait to see how I feel on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I bet you can. I bet you can. All right. Take care, Bobby. I'll talk to you then. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bobby Hensley heading out Talladega 500. We're going to... Wrap things up right now. We've got South Bend Cubs baseball coming up. It is the Cubs against the Beloit Skycarp. That is on the way, the pregame show from Four Winds Field. Great night to be out at the ballpark tonight. Enjoy a Budweiser out there, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, also one of our sponsors of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger's a Story We Can End. Find out how at feedindiana.org. South Bend Cubs baseball is next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 